Living Hope is a church striving to become a 21st century apostolic church. We are founded upon the belief that the Bible is the inspired, infallible Word of God. We believe in the Great Commission and are endeavoring to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with love, mercy, and truth. Listen in as we share the Word and that through Jesus Christ, hope is alive. All right, uh, tonight we're going to be continuing and really the, remembering that we're not just going through this lesson so we can be super spiritual and identify the weapons of the enemy, but really this series is about being more effective in spiritual warfare. Somebody said, well, I don't believe in spiritual warfare. I don't believe that we really need to battle it well. Then that just means you're losing, all right? Because whether you believe in spiritual warfare or not, there is, a, there is spiritual warfare taking place. So either you're fighting, you're engaging in that warfare, or you're just being a target for the enemy. You're just target practice for the enemy. The Bible tells us that we need to put on the whole armor of God, amen? You don't put on armor unless you're in a battle. And so we're uh, in these principles and these different spirits that we're identifying, we're doing it for the purpose of being more effective in spiritual warfare. And kind of the basis and the, the fundamental points that we're uh, identifying and, and going over the review every week are identifying, first of all, those who are more effective in spiritual warfare. There's three points to that. First of all, it's those that are able to look beyond the traits that are manifest and identify the spirit that is causing the trait or the issue. Secondly, that we are skilled in how to deal with it. And then obviously we also need to have the desire to be free from it. How many of you are noticing as we're going through this that you're able to identify these spirits at work? You're able to identify them at work either in your own life or uh, maybe a loved one, a family member, or a coworker, perhaps even. And, and why is that? Not so you could just say, wow, I'm cool, I can identify it, but now we can go to war against that spirit. The three battlefields of spiritual warfare begins with obsession, and that is always where it begins, and it happens when the adversary strives to consume our minds. Our thoughts become consumed with the traits that are identified uh, uh, rather that identify this spirit. Secondly is oppression. There's Cortez. Cortez, we were just praising God for your new job. Amen. He got off work and came right to church. Amen. I will say, I, I had a meeting with Cortez a little while ago, and uh, he told me in that meeting, Pastor, I won't miss church, and he hasn't missed since. Cortez, thank you for being a man of your word. Amen. I believe God's going to honor that. Amen. And if you want to know how to be put on the spot by pastor, talk to Cortez later and tell you how to do it. Uh, uh, secondly, so it begins with obsession and then it goes on to oppression. And that is uh, where our, we, we begin, our lives, our actions begin to be impacted by our thoughts. And then finally, possession. And that takes place when we, we, we accept the obsession. That we're, our mind's always thinking about it. We accept that as just being normal. Our resolve has been weakened by the oppression to the place that they are being controlled by the spirits that torment them. And so tonight we're going to continue in this uh, series that we've been doing again in our eighth week, thank you Brother Junior, of this 12-week series, and we're going to identify and talk about the spirit of fear. In 1805, there was a book published called Songs for the Nursery. Anybody thought about those Songs that were supposed to get children to sleep at night. Amen. And one of the selections was a nursery rhyme written by an unknown author with the intent of entertaining children. These familiar words have survived over two centuries. Little Miss Muffet sat on her tuffet eating her curds and whey. Along came a spider who sat down beside her and frightened Miss Muffet away. Now go to sleep, little Teddy. All right. Spiders all around you. Now go to sleep now. The nursery rhyme about the life of little Miss Muffet has stood the test of time, yet her only notable trait was her ability to feel fear. Her life, at least what we know of it, has factored into our lives because of her fear of spiders. If, we did, if it weren't for little Miss Muffet's fear of spiders, we would not even know who she was. It should be noted that we don't know who the true author of the poem was. We don't really know for sure the author, or the year rather, in which the, this, this tale was written. 
We don't know anything about the family to whom Miss Muffet belonged. All we know is that little Miss Muffet has been memorialized through the ages. And the reason that we know that is because she was well acquainted with fear. And perhaps the reason the, the longevity of this nursery rhyme is that all humanity can identify with the emotion of fear. Amen. If you say that, well, I'm not afraid of anything, I don't believe you. You may not be afraid of this. You might laugh at my fear of spiders, me and little Miss Muffet. We have some things in common, right? Brooke sent me a picture, a video the other day of uh, while we were driving back from Tennessee with that uh, welcome center out there. Uh, Brooke uh, videotaped a, a big, it looked like the spider was about the size of my office. It was a humongous spider. Um, I don't know, at least it looked like what, that way to me. And then uh, I, I told her, you need to kill the spider. And she said, well, we did, but it was pregnant, and uh, now there's baby spiders all over your office. And I said, well, if when I get back from my trip, if all the spiders ain't gone, you're, you're both fired. And so I think, anyway, I think they got rid of the, the spider. So I, anyway, your fear may not be spiders, uh, but I, I guarantee all of us have a fear in our lives. Fear is among the most basic and yet the most debilitating emotions that touch the lives of humanity. Before I go any further, is anybody that needs a handout? That's not where the pastor offers to pay your Smeco bill. That means you need the, the fill in the blank. You need a, a fill in the blank paper or a pen. Anybody need a pen? All right, we're good. Okay, we'll keep trudging along then. A completely natural disposition to look at something, assess its threats, and respond accordingly is built into our intellect. God gave you that ability to be able to look at a threat, identify the threat, and then respond accordingly. God gave us that ability. Fear serves a great purpose by giving us the ability to respond to danger and in turn facilitate our survival. However, be aware that fear is both a protector and a predator. Fear is both a protector and it is a predator. While fear, this knowledge, this ability to assess a threat and respond to it has the ability to assess threats and stop us in our tracks, the very nature of fear allows it to be both a tool of self-preservation in a tormenting plague to any life. Uh, I'm, uh, yeah, did I say that right? Okay. God identified the 10 of hell's 12 apostles when he referenced Hell's ability to use fear as a tormenting plague. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. For God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. All right, so a fear, and we're going to talk about how to identify, you know, if, if we can say then that there's a good side of this ability to assess a, a danger in our lives and respond to it, then, then, but if God didn't give us the spirit of fear, how can we uh, tell the difference between when it's good, when it's a protector, and when it's bad, when it's a predator? When, when does it become this spirit that God didn't give us? And we're, that's what we're part of what we're gonna talk about tonight. As with most of these 12 spirits, the demonic spirit of fear tends to weaponize our natural human instincts. While Miss Muffet feared spiders, we all have some element of fear, a fear of darkness, a fear of accidents, a fear of heights. Man, I'm reading all of these. I think I have all of them. A fear of strange noises in the night. Amen. I'm starting to think somebody else needs to come teach this lesson tonight. However, what this chapter delves into is more than fear as a single strange noise or a single close call. There comes a time when certain individuals become tormented by a demonic spirit of fear. How many of you know that a, a, a fear of heights to some degree is healthy, right? If, if you didn't have a fear of heights at all and you didn't have the ability to assess the danger of heights, then, then obviously, uh, I don't know if I should, my wife and I were driving through the mountains, uh, the Smoky Mountains yesterday, and uh, there was a, a lady that was... Um, Testing fate. She was, she was, I don't know how, I'm not going to go into all the details. My wife is like, I can't believe he's going to tell this story. Um, she can tell you the details later. I won't go into all the details, but she was on a, probably what, at least a thousand foot drop. 
And she was, uh, anyway, just taking her life into her own hands as she was there on the ledge of that. Didn't look to me like she had any fear. Uh, I would have been a long way away from where she was at. I can promise you that. One of the key differences in natural fear and the spirit of fear is that the range of objects causing your fear broadens to a debilitating degree when it becomes a spiritual issue, causing you to be fearful of things that you should never remotely be, that should never remotely be a torment in your, in your life or in your world. All right, let's go through those again. The, the difference between a natural fear and the spirit of fear is that the range of objects causing your fear broadens to a debilitating degree when it becomes a spiritual issue causing you to be fearful of things that you should never remotely, that should never remotely be a torment in your world. All right, if I have a fear of a thousand foot drop, that's natural and that's normal. Now, some of you are daredevils and you would, you know, balance on one leg over a thousand foot drop and I just think you're crazy. There's other things I would say about you. I, I think you've got something wrong with you. However, if you stood on the edge of this step right here and you, you, your legs begin to shake and you were tormented by that, I don't know, 18 inch step down, uh, there, there's probably a bigger problem there. That's not normal. So here, here are some examples. A consuming dread about what tomorrow may bring. All right? A consuming dread about what tomorrow, I can't sleep at night because I'm just afraid. Again, if there's something that you know about tomorrow, some, you know, you got a, 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 an exam that you didn't study for, all right? Uh, the, the boss has announced that they're gonna be cutting, laying people off and you're on the edge of that, all right? That might be, but if you don't, have any reason to be afraid. If you don't have any re nothing that you know about, you just can't get to sleep night after night after night because you dread what, what tomorrow might bring. That would let us know it's a spirit of fear. Another one would be an overwhelming fear of what people think about you. All right? That's the, the Instagram demon. I mean, that's um, the spirit of fear. All right? An overwhelming fear of what people think about you. Again, we all... Uh, there's some, uh, to a degree, it's good to care what people think about you. It's what helps people to try and get something that matches when they get dressed in the morning, you know? Um, it, it, you know, we, we comb our hair. We try to, you know, good hygiene. Those are, that, that's the good side of it. But when it becomes an overwhelming fear, can't even go out of my house, right? I'm terrified of what people might think about me. That's a spirit of fear. An illogical potential for some dreaded disease, <coughs> coronavirus, <coughs> An illogical, sorry, I have a cough. I've got a cough. All right, an illogical, okay, an illogical potential for some dreaded disease. Please don't let the facts get in the way of all of this craziness going on right now with coronavirus. All right, wash your hands. All right, if you cough, cough into a tissue. All right, even for a season of time, if you go with the fist bump instead of a handshake, I get that. But th th this is getting out of control right now. All of this pandemonium, it's a spirit of fear that is being pushed upon humanity right now. All right, the facts don't, ba don't back up the pandemonium that is taking place right now. An illogical potential for some dreaded disease. An untrue perception of someone trying to hurt you. Any, any one of those are, are examples of how, okay, we've left behind just good common sense and, and that God-given ability to assess a threat, all right? If every person is out to get you, okay, that's not, that's not healthy. That's a spirit of fear, all right? If somebody looks at you, you know, you're at McDonald's in line and somebody looks at you and you assess that person, I know they want to kill me. I know they're after me. No, they, 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 they were... You know, they might have been looking to see, you know, what you got to eat. Maybe they're not really there to kill you, all right? A demonic spirit of fear will weaponize your own natural apprehensions and find a way to make almost anything in your world a dreaded adversary in attempt to damage and torment your walk with God. An abbreviated list of damaging traits and manifestations driven by the spirit of fear in our lives includes the following. Agitation, anxiety, apprehension, confusion, distrust, debilitating panic, doubting God, doubting people, dread, embarrassment, 
excessive emotions, fear of authority, fear of confrontation, fear of death, fear of disapproval, fear of poverty, fear of rejection, fear of pain, fear of sickness, heart attacks, hypertension, joylessness, lack of faith, lack of trust, low self-esteem, nightmares, overly protective, panic attacks, paranoia, phobias, procrastination, reclusive, self-depreciation, sleeplessness, stress, suspicions, tension, terrors, trembling, unworthiness, and worry. All right, so I just want to spend a minute talking about where we leave behind the God-given ability to assess a danger and to respond to it, and then when it becomes a spirit of fear. As pertains right now, obviously, the there, there is some danger to this coronavirus. We understand that, all right? We're not saying that it's not a real thing, all right? It, what they have said about, what the, the uh, CDC has said about it, it is, it is um, very contagious, all right? Uh, what they have not said about it is if you get it, you're going to die, all right? It's, there is a very small uh, percentage of society that it, it, it could be deadly to, all right? We're not saying it's not a real thing. So what, what is the smart, the smart thing is to say we're going to have a plan in place. All right, first of all, I want to let you know that we're not, the only reason we will stop gathering here is not because I want to, but if the government comes and says that we have to, all right, and, and I know in some places they're, um, even right now, I think I talked to a friend in New York where they're saying uh, any, any place where there's 250 or more that you're not allowed to gather there, they're, they're uh, weighing out, making that declaration until this thing passes, all right? Now, we probably would fall into that number, so we'd be okay. If we have to come out to the fact that we can't come together, then we'll go, and so we have a plan in place for that. We have a plan in place that we will activate small groups and we'll get together in small groups. So we have a plan. What we're not gonna do is run around screaming with our head off, we're all gonna die, we're all gonna die, we're all gonna die, okay? We're not all gonna die, okay? We're all gonna make it through this. How do you still believe God is in control? Jesus is bigger than Corona. He's bigger than coronavirus even. He's bigger than that. Okay, so I should have put those together, right? He's bigger than Corona too. I don't, I I think sometimes Corona is more deadly than coronavirus, but anyhow, all right? So having a plan, if if, if there's something going on and, and having a plan is not wrong. But when it, when it releases terror on our lives, that is where it becomes a spirit of fear. We're not going to let coronavirus release a spirit of terror into this congregation. We're simply going to have a plan. All right, if part of that plan is for you until this virus is passed, you're not going to shake hands, I will honor that. I'll fist bump you, all right? Okay, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna stock up on uh, the hand sanitizer. And, and, and we'll, we'll stand, before I lay hands on you, I'll, I'll put some... some sanitizer on my hands and then I'll pray for you, all right? So we're gonna have a plan. We're gonna be wise about what we do. I don't want it to spread, okay? I, don't, I, I certainly don't want that, but by the same token, we're not gonna release a spirit of terror into the church. While most people are acquainted with fear on some level, there are times that the symptoms of fear can become demonically driven, even to the point of crippling your ability to function in the normal routines of life. Can't stop and get gas. Somebody might have coronavirus. I can't go outside of my house. Somebody might breathe on me. All right, that is a spirit. Now you can't even live your life. All right. Worse, it devastates your ability to function on a spiritual level. It devastates your ability to function on a spiritual level. And that, that, that could go to anything. All right, if, I, if my fear won't allow me to worship God, if my fear won't allow me to, to come to church and to worship with the people of God. If my fear uh, keeps me from being what God has called me to be, that is a spirit at work. Suffice it to say, the spirit of fear becomes debilitating, even though a vast majority of the time, nothing remotely, uh, nothing remotely comes close to making those fears come true. You notice most of your, right, when I was a child, I was afraid of the dark. The fact is, most of, 99.9% of the time, there was really nothing to be afraid of. That fear that I had was not based in reality, all right? It was a, and most of the fears that we, I've, the, the fact is I've not one time been bitten by a spider, 
I, I'm still, if you put a spider up here right now, I will dance like David danced. All right? I'm going to get out of, the, I'm going to do everything I can to get away from that spider. If I see a snake slit, we are not the church. We're not one of those Pentecostal churches. If anybody ever says that church, they had snakes in there, you tell them they're a liar because this pastor is terrified of snakes. We're not bringing snakes in here. If you bring a snake in here, the ushers are going to escort you back out with your snake. All right? But the fact is, I've never been bit, that I know of, I've never been bitten by a spider, and I do know I've never been bitten by a snake. And I still have that fear, but the reality is that the reality is it'll probably never happen that I get bit by a snake. All right? It, it won't happen. I can promise you that. Because if I see one, me and him are going to be on opposite sides of the universe. The spirit of fear is so real that Scripture deals with fear or being afraid 694 times. The vast number of times God addresses fear should scream to us the importance of knowing how to deal with it. One of the most prominent signs that the spirit of fear has invaded our lives is that uh, their life suddenly ceases to be joyful and peaceful, but instead becomes a miserable mixture of unholy expectations and dreadful anticipation of what might happen at any moment. Well, I can't, I don't want, what if I go to, go to church and I get in a car accident? What if I walk into church and, and everybody stares at me? Those are spirits of fear that we become a captive of what might happen. Now, I do have, spirit, I do have a fear of spiders, but it's not, gonna, it's not like I can't get out of bed in the morning. It's not like I can't go to sleep at night. I do. I sleep just fine. All right? So when that spirit becomes something that inhibits me from living my life because I'm dreadful of what might happen, that spirit needs to be dealt with. The spirit of fear will transform carefree children of God into pessimistic, tormented wrecks. The spirit of fear will transform precious family members into miserable, badgering souls. The spirit of fear will transform blessed individuals into creatures of constant agony. The spirit of fear will transform peaceful-hearted Christians into contemptible, depressed mourners. And the spirit of fear will transform holy-minded people to become negative, critical wretches. When discussing fear, it is necessary to realize it is used, utilized by both God and by evil, albeit in very different ways. So there is a good fear. Scripture tells us that the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. All right? There should be a level of fear of sin, that I am fearful of sin. I'm fearful of engaging in sin because I'm afraid of what sin will do to my life. That is a good fear. All right? um, it, and here's how we know that it's godly. Again, the Bible says it is the beginning of wisdom because it produces conviction in our lives. However, when the Bible speaks of an unholy fear, it tells us that fear hath torment. Thus, the key difference in whether it is producing, or the key difference is whether it is producing conviction or torment. Right? If, I, if a spirit of fear is producing a conviction in my life, that's a good thing. All right, when you no longer have a fear of sin, when you no longer have a fear of the consequences of sin, you need to get back to a fear of God. The Bible says, again, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. And that should mean we have convictions in our lives. Because I've seen what sin can do to someone's life, I'm not going anywhere near it. All right? However, when it becomes, when it becomes a tool of torment in my life, all right, if this fear you were dealing with is causing torment, you are battling a demonic spirit of fear. Undoubtedly, there are people that are precious to us in this building tonight, family members and coworkers, and maybe people that live abroad throughout this nation or perhaps even the world that we know that are being victimized by a demonic spirit of fear. Their lives have been changed because they dread what might happen. Right? That's a spirit of fear that has worked. Perhaps you're here tonight and you are being tormented by this demonic fear. This is not the will of God. If your life is being altered because of what might happen, or if you don't have any joy because you fear 
Every little bump you get on your body, well, well, that might be cancer. That may be cancer. That may be this. It may be that. And I'm not talking about your dealing. It has been diagnosed. I'm talking about where your life is being altered because of what might happen. That is a spirit of fear. And it's not the will of God. The Bible emphatically erases a belief that God intends life to be anything but joyous. John 10 and 10 says, The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and destroy. But I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. And so if this spirit of fear, whatever your fear might be, if it has you so caged in that you don't enjoy life, that life is miserable, that life is just one terror after another, can I tell you, God is not the one putting you in that cage. God is not the one boxing you into this place where you can't enjoy your life. He said it very emphatically. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. What does that mean? It means that I I should be enjoying life. Amen. But just as surely as God desires your life to be fulfilled and happy, never forget that the goal of the spirit of fear is to rip away anything resembling joy, filling the void where joy used to be, now with dread and anxiety. Those feelings of dread and anxiety are diametrically opposed to everything God wants for your life. Again, nobody is exempt from the common feelings of apprehension about some things. Okay, so again, if if you're afraid of walking up to the edge of a thousand foot cliff, that's not a spirit of fear, that's common sense. If you have a a fear like I do, a, a healthy fear of spiders, I don't, I don't believe that that, I'm, I don't believe I'm dealing with the spirit of fear. Now again, if every time I sat in my office I couldn't work on my, I'm just staring at the ceiling, the whole, that's a spirit of fear. I can't actively engage in life because this fear has me boxed in. Nobody has to continually fight this vicious spiritual warfare that this satanic spirit of fear is hurling at them. If this is the battle that you're facing, or a loved one. Now we're going to talk about how do we defeat this spirit of fear. Step number one, never, ever fear demonic forces over which you have authority. Never, ever fear demonic forces over which you have authority. When you are dealing with the spirit of fear, you must establish in your heart that no demonic force has authority over your life. Power is not, nor has it ever been, the problem with God's people as pertaining to spiritual warfare. Amen. You have authority over every spirit that would come against you. All right. You have authority over that that creek in the floor in the middle of the night. That I, I have authority over the spirit of fear. I may go check what, you know, if there's a, a, a bang in the night at my door, I'm going to go check what it is, all right, because, I'm, you know, that's my job as the man of the house to make sure everybody's safe. Or maybe my wife might get up and go do it first, but, and uh, I'll, I'll pretend to be asleep. I mean, I didn't say that, did I? Um, anyway, one of us will get up and go check, but, but I'm not going to let that control me, all right? Once my wife tells me everything is safe, I'm going to go back to sleep. <laughs> I'm kidding. Somewhat. (laughs) We have authority. That was my point. I got off my notes. Stay on your notes. Power is resident within our commitments to God, but authority is something that is required when dealing with demonic spirits, learning to operate in the authority. Listen, if if you will continue to be governed by fear, if you will continue to allow the fear of what might happen, okay, when you start giving room to that, the room starts closing in. If I begin to be fearful, you know, just a passing thought, well, what if I get in a car accident on my way to work and I allow that to begin as a thought and I don't take authority over that, that is gonna begin to increasingly take control in my life to where I'm afraid to walk to the mailbox because I might trip and fall. The enemy will keep taking territory. The problem isn't that I don't have the power. The problem is I'm not exercising authority. What we need to do as children of God is we need to take a stand and speak to that spirit of fear and exercise the authority that we have and say, I rebuke that spirit of fear in the name of Jesus. I'm not going to let you keep me from fulfilling 
Amen. The responsibilities that I have and the God-given right that I have as a child of God to live life and that more abundantly. Amen. Ultimately, the spirit of fear has no authority in your life. And knowing that should help alleviate the fear of its attempted hindrances. So enter into warfare. Again, the purpose of all of these spirits You say, well, pastor talked about fear tonight, so that means I don't have to be afraid anymore. No, what I'm doing is giving you the tools so that you can go engage in spiritual warfare and overthrow the spirit of fear. Without the warfare, fear still has authority in your life. You have to take this now, the the weapon that you're being given tonight, the the, uh, wisdom that you're being given from the word of God now, and you have to go and engage in spiritual warfare and take authority. So enter into warfare with the spirit of fear, knowing you are the one with authority because of your relationship with God. Don't walk in the room and say, spirit of fear, I'm Jason and I'm a big bad dude, so you better run because the spirit of fear doesn't care who you are. Go in there and say, because I'm a son of God, because I'm a child of the king, because I'm covered by the blood of Jesus, because I've been baptized in the name of Jesus, amen, because I'm a son of the king, devil, spirit of fear, I'm taking authority over you right now by the power that is in the name of Jesus. You have no authority over me. You have no authority over my thoughts. You have no authority over my actions. I rebuke you in Jesus' name. Leverage. Leverage your relationship with God because that is where the power comes. Step two, love God, love people, and love life. This is step two in defeating the spirit of fear. Love God, love people, and love life. The Bible tells us, 1 John 4 and 18, there is no fear in love. But perfect love casts out fear because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect. If I'm, again, I'm not talking about, you know, having boundaries, but if I'm controlled by a spirit of fear that my wife is gonna mess up and, you know, she's just looking for an opportunity to to enter into a relationship with somebody and that controls my life and I, I, I can't trust her. And I'm fearful. Every day of my life, I'm fearful. That, that get, the, the problem is that I really don't love her. Because if my love with my wife is perfect, I'm not going to fear that. I trust her. Love and trust are synonymous one with the other. And if I trust her, my life is not going to be governed by fear. I trust her. Perfect love casts out all fear. God's promise as part of the covenant of salvation was that your life would be infused with joy unspeakable. His righteous intent for you is to live in a relationship with him, making your life reflect the beauty that accompany a life of holiness, knowing the importance of joy, hold on, and beauty in your life. The spirit of fear invades your life, causing intimidation, apprehension, and suspicions about people, about your life, and even about God. How many of you trust God? Listen, if we really, I'm, let's, let's bring it to where we're at with this coronavirus, right? I trust God. I trust God that he's going to take care. I'm, again, I'm going to exercise common sense. I'm going to wash my hands. I did that actually before coronavirus came out. I was doing that. So I'm just going to keep doing that. All right. Some of you, anyway, it's a good, good thing to do. All right. All right. I'm going to use hand sanitizer. It's good to do that. But I trust God. I trust God that after I've used common sense, Amen, that his word tells me that no plague will come nigh my dwelling. That's what, and I trust God. I love him, and so I trust him. And because I trust him and I love him, amen, that it casts out all fear. I don't have to be fearful. I trust God. The only way that coronavirus is gonna get me is if God lets it. After I've used common sense, the only way it's gonna get me is if God lets it, and if God lets it, it's my time anyhow. And I just get to be there earlier than you all, and I'll meet you there. Amen? Perfect love, but fear causes suspicions to where we, again, I'm not talking about, we need to have boundaries in our marriages. That's what I'm talking about. But, But 
suspicion. You know, I'm hiring me a private investigator to follow my spouse around. That's driven by a spirit of fear. Okay, if you can't trust your spouse, you, maybe what you need is not a private investigator. Maybe you need to go see a counselor and get your marriage fixed, okay? Because that's not normal. That's not healthy. That's not natural. All right, perfect love cast out. We need to be able to trust one another. The spirit of fear does this in an evil attempt to portray living for God as less than a beautiful experience. That's what, in the garden, he started with Eve. You can't really trust God. What he told you, he told you that if you eat that, you're going to die. But really what God was doing is keeping you because he knew in the day that you eat of it, you're going to be like him. He was sowing the seed of mistrust in Eve's heart. And it caused her, it caused her to react out of, uh, out of her own carnality and she ate of the fruit. The enemy wants us to think that serving God is less than a beautiful experience. And so the spirit of fear mars the beauty of living for God by causing someone who has triumphed over their past be, to be tormented by, this, by fear of the future. Okay, By the blood of Jesus, I overcame my past. But what good is it if I overcame my past if I never step into my future because the spirit of fear is at work in my life? God not only declared that love casts out fear, but also that people who are tormented by fear cannot be mature in love. If, if any of those relationships that we talked about, love God, love people, and love life, if in any of those you're being tormented by fear, if you are tormented by fear over your spouse, if you're tormented by, about fear in your relationship with God, you don't really trust God, the fact is your love is not mature. The maturity that accompanies true love will understand the following things. Number one, people are not perfect. Amen. People are not, tell your neighbor, you ain't perfect. And tell them, but I'm not either. Okay, if, well, my spouse isn't perfect. Well, you're not either. People are not perfect. But loving them has nothing to do with their perfection. If, well, I can't love my spouse because they, they made a mistake once. I can't love my spouse because I know they're not perfect. Well, if, that's, if you're waiting for perfection to love somebody, you're never going to love somebody. Okay, part of what makes it love is that I love you in spite of knowing that you're not perfect. I love you in spite of knowing that you have failures in your life. I love you anyhow. Okay, how do we, how do we know the love of Jesus Christ? He came and died for us while we were yet sinners. If he only died for perfect people, that wasn't love. Life is not always going to be easy, but loving life doesn't require it to be easy. Now listen, I, I, I do. I, I want to go to heaven, but I'm not dreading this life. All right. I, again, Jesus came that we might have life and that we might have it more abundantly. So don't walk around you know, with your head down, miserable, man, I just can't wait. I just want to get out of here. I can't wait till this life is over. This, this place is so dumb. I just can't wait to get to heaven. Okay, I'm glad you want to go to heaven. But, but he gave you this life for you to enjoy it. And know it, it's not always going to be easy, but it doesn't have to be easy for me to, to enjoy the life that God has given me. God will not always be understood, but loving God has nothing to do with understanding him. His ways are higher than my ways. His thoughts are higher than my thought. How many of you would say that God has done things in your lifetime that you still don't understand? If you haven't raised your hand yet, get ready. You'll join the rest of us. Okay, God doesn't do things, and, and God doesn't owe us an explanation. But loving God has nothing. Well, God, when I understand why, then I'll love you. No, love is me saying, God, you know what? I love you. I trust you. I don't understand the way you do things all the time, but I love you. Amen. And when you come to a maturity, when, you're, when your love reaches that place where I, I, love my, I love Cortez. I know that Cortez isn't perfect, but Cortez, I love you. That's a mature love, and there's no fear in that. When I know that you're not perfect, but I love you anyhow, it casts out all fear. When life is not, when I'm not expect, well, when life gets easy, then I'll start loving life. No, when I decide, you know what? I know that life isn't always going to be easy, but I, like, I love life anyhow. That casts the fear out of my love for this life. 
And when I, I, I come to grips with the fact, you know what, I'm not always going to understand God. God, I don't understand your ways, but I love you anyhow. That gets rid of fear in my relationship with God. That God, I love you. And it gets rid of all fear. That's a maturity in our love. And in every relationship, in our relationships with one another, we need to mature in our love. Get fear out of that relationship. Fear will destroy a relationship. Without a mature love in your world for people, for life, and for God, you suddenly cease being a pleasant member of society and become a frightened, apprehensive, distrustful basket case. And if you don't like that paragraph, Brother White wrote that. I just wrote it in my notes, okay? You can blame it on him. Have you ever been in a relationship with a friend who all of a sudden lost trust? And, and it, it used to be there was trust there, and now all of a sudden everything you do, they're suspecting of it. It becomes miserable, right? That, that friendship that used to be uh, a source of strength now becomes a source of dread. Be aware of the spirit of fear not only will make you miserable. Isn't it fearful? Isn't, isn't it dreadful to always be fearful? To always be afraid? Always be afraid of relationships that you're involved in? It, but it doesn't just make you miserable, but it will push you to make others miserable as well. For this reason, entertaining the spirit of fear leaves you isolated from those whom God meant to be among the support system in your life. The spirit of fear is starved to death by an individual who genuinely loves God, loves people, and loves life. You want to kill fear? Mature in your love. You want to kill fear? Mature in your love for one another. Understand, no, they're not perfect, but I love them in spite of their imperfections. And I will not let a spirit of fear drive me to a place where I cannot trust. It's not going to happen. Amen? Get rid of that fear in your love with God. Get rid of, you want to starve fear? Love God. Love God perfectly. Love God with the same kind of love that he loved you with. Amen. Thirdly, fight fear with trust. Fear is a tormenting spirit that refuses to allow trust in God to survive. The spirit of fear is the assassination of trust. Trying to change your life from beautiful to bleak. This change can happen only when you forfeit your trust in God and his ways. For that reason, a vitally important step in surviving warfare with the spirit of fear is to have a strong, unwavering trust in God. Even when you feel like you don't deserve God's favor, you should always remember he is a God that can be trusted. It is interesting that our first glimpse of fear in God's word came when Adam and Eve fell into sin. Scripture paints the picture of God beckoning Adam and Eve, or rather Adam, back into relationship that they once shared, only to see Adam covered with a fig leaf and hiding from God. Adam revealed the reason why he was hiding from God. Here's what Adam said when God came looking for him. In Genesis 3 and 10, he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid. Sadly, all humanity battles the fear that our failure means we can no longer trust God. It's, it's amazing. Adam is the one who sinned, and yet it caused him to not trust God. Our failure drives us to that place where we no longer trust God. We feel like our failures have eliminated us from God's willingness to show us favor. This fear was humanity's immediate response when imperfection first showed up. However, in spite of Adam's failure, God did show up and willingly remained an active part of Adam's life. In the midst of his struggles, God could still be trusted. While I offer no justification for sin, be assured that God can still be trusted to have favor in your life today. Trusting in God eliminates any power that the spirit of fear may have in your life. The ability of trust to eradicate any attack by the spirit of fear is seen in David's testimony. We're gonna read this psalm as we conclude uh, this, this lesson tonight, Psalms chapter 27, verses one through three. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked, even my enemies and my foes, came upon me to eat of my flesh, 
they stumbled and fell. Though when hosts should encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though wars should rise against me, in this will I be confident. In what? In the fact that the Lord is my light and my salvation. In the fact that the Lord is my life, of whom shall I be afraid? In the fact that when, when the enemy came up to defeat me, uh, that the enemy stumbled and he fell. Amen. That though a host should encamp about me, we can disarm the spirit of fear. Listen, I know again, coronavirus, I'm not saying it's not a real thing, but if you have been vexed by a spirit of fear over this coronavirus, I want to tell you how to defeat that. Trust the Lord. Trust the Lord. Though a host should encamp against me, I'm going to trust in you, Lord. I'm going to be confident in this, uh, that the Lord is my keeper, uh, that the Lord is my light and my salvation. Uh, I don't have to be afraid because God is in control. Uh, I trust him. In this will I be confident. David's refusal to give in to fear was predicated on the fact that despite all the fearful things he listed that could happen to him, he could say, in this will I be confident. David refuted the spirit of fear, as every child of God should, by living a life that says, whatever may come my way, I still trust in you, Lord. That's how we defeat fear. I trust in you, Lord. Lord, if it works out the way I want it to, or if it doesn't, I trust in you, Lord. Lord, if, if coronavirus spreads across the United States and the numbers continue to grow, I still trust in you, Lord. Lord, if tomorrow we wake up and they say there is no more coronavirus, I still trust in you, Lord. No matter what comes, no matter what goes, you will control the spirit of fear, not based upon what disease and what infection comes in. And well, if there's no more disease, then I don't have any more fear. Let me give you a better solution, and that is trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not to your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge Him. A sincere trust in God stalemates the spirit of fear, rendering impossible its attempts at causing you to fear. A, spirit, a sincere trust in God stalemates the spirit of fear, rendering impossible it's attempts at causing you to fear. Now there could be a vast array of fears tonight that we would deal with. But remember, when we talk about a spirit, the purpose of a spirit, these 12 apostles of hell, are to keep us from being everything God wanted us to be. Keeping us from rising to our full potential that God created within us. And so tonight it may be the fear of coronavirus. Tonight it may be the fear of what God is trying to position you to be. Maybe, maybe every time that God begins to speak to you about what he wants to do through you in the kingdom of God, you become apprehensive and you become fearful and you begin to think about your past and you begin to think about all the ways that you're not capable and all of the tendencies that you have that would limit you from being used in God. Well, I'm gonna tell you the answer tonight for all of those is that we're gonna stand together and we're gonna raise our hands tonight and we're gonna say, God, I trust you. Perfect love. You may not understand the Lord, you may not understand everything He's done, but perfect love casts out fear. And right now, I wonder, perfect love, if, if there's a, a marriage right now in this place that is being decimated by fear and lack of trust, I want to tell you, perfect love is not predicated on perfect people. Perfect love is me saying, I know that you're not perfect, but I love you anyhow, and I'm going to put trust in you because that's the only way that I can get rid of the spirit of fear out of this relationship. So I want us to raise our hands together right now. God, I'm asking you, Lord, trust is how we defeat fear. And it is not your, God, you did not give us a spirit of fear. God hath not given to us the spirit of fear, but of power of love and of a sound mind. Lord, the only fear that you gave us, God, was, God, the fear of God that leads us to the beginning of wisdom. That, Lord, there I do fear the consequences of sin. I do fear, Lord, what indulging in the, the carnal appetites of this world, Lord, what the consequences of that will do to my life and to my family. But, Lord, right now, God, that, that fear drives me to a place of conviction and repentance. But, Lord, I pray that fear that would result in terror, in good people of God that are here tonight 
that cannot be everything that you created them to be because the enemy has created a culture of terror in their mind and in their lives. Lord, right now, we lift our hands and we say, Jesus, I trust you. I don't understand everything. I don't understand all the ways that you work. Lord, there are times that I thought for sure you were going to do things one way and instead you did it some other way. Lord, there were times I thought for sure you were going to speak, God, and the miracle was going to be instantaneous. And instead, you chose another way to work. And Lord, if I allow it, that will create distrust in me. And Lord, fear will begin to reign in my life. But tonight, I'm taking authority over that spirit of fear by raising my hands and saying, Lord, even though I don't understand all of your ways, I trust you. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, I pray tonight, Lord, let perfect love, let mature love cast out all fear. In the name of Jesus, Lord, I pray right now, I know, I know even as I'm sharing this lesson that there are people in this building, loved ones, God, of people in this building whose very lives are being altered by the impact of a spirit of fear. That enemy began to take territory because authority wasn't expressed. That spirit of fear invaded their world. And now because of fear of what might happen, a fear of what may transpire, their lives are backed into a corner. Lord, they've been locked into a prison. Their potential is not being realized. God, what you created them to be, they're not living to that. They're, they're not living that life and that more abundantly. But God, they're living in the terror of fear. And I pray right now in the name of Jesus, uh, we have authority. And so right now we pray in the authority. Uh, hallelujah, Lord, I am a son of God. I'm a child of the King. Uh, I'm in relationship with Jesus Christ. Uh, I bear upon my life the name of Jesus. Uh, the blood of Jesus has been applied to my life. Uh, and as a child of the King, I have authority. And so I speak right now to that spirit of fear to be bound in the name of Jesus, uh, to be cast out in the name of Jesus. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. I wonder right now, could we just take a minute? You might know, maybe maybe you're here tonight and you're, you're, your life has been invaded by terror. So fearful of what might be. Come on, you don't enjoy life. You're not enjoying, you, you, you could not say with honesty that he has come and he's made my life, that, 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 that his love, that, that life and that more abundantly that he came to give me, I'm, I'm living that. You couldn't say that honestly. I pray in the name of Jesus. Come on, let somebody, let that perfect love of, of God, hallelujah, let it cast out that fear. In the name of Jesus, maybe relationships that you're involved in, you've, that because of maybe something that's happened or, or you, just the enemy has gotten a foothold and, and now you've lost trust. And so now in the place of love and trust, there is fear and torment. Come on, you, you have the ability, you have the authority right now to decide that I'm going to love. I know that they're not perfect, but I'm going to love. And that perfect love is what casts out fear. And I'm not going to be bound by fear. I'm not going to be bound by apprehension. Hallelujah. But what God has given to me, I'm going to live in. I'm going to walk in.